Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We're looking at the seven letters that were written by Jesus himself as John penned in the book of Revelation, understanding what they said then and understanding even more so how they apply to the church today, Colin. We're looking at the second letter now to the church in Smyrna. This was another of the churches in Asia Minor and begins uh, with a description of something about the Lord who is speaking. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Uh, each of each of these descriptions at, at the beginning of the letters tell us something different about the Lord. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the eternal one. What's the significance of that? Well, his purposes never change because he never changes. God doesn't have a purpose for one generation that is different from another generation. He is working his eternal purposes out within his church in every generation. Uh, The one who is speaking is the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit because he is the one who died and came to life again. Now, what's he saying? Remember, he always starts with the positive I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Now, there are many, many parts of the world where the church exists in a situation of great poverty. And we, we touched earlier in the week on the afflictions, on the persecution, on the difficulties that often the church has to face. You think of um, places like China where... Um, much of the church has to exist underground because of the persecution. Um, So God is aware of all this, yet you are rich. Why are they rich? Because their trust is in him. And it doesn't matter what the social circumstances in which the church exists. Every believer has the same inheritance, the same riches that the word of God speaks about. We have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So even in the midst of poverty, God can cause his church to prosper spiritually and even materially, Uh, not not in a way that sets the church um, over and against the society in which it lives, but in order to be a channel of God's grace and provision for that society. So in other words, there is no holiness in being poor. Um, That is a big, big misconception in the church to think that it's spiritual to be poor. Poverty in scripture is a curse. So we, we should not exalt poverty. Jesus certainly was never poor. That was a a great travesty to even think that he was poor. He was so wealthy that his uh, undergarment at the time of his crucifixion was so expensive that they cast lots for it. They wouldn't tear it up into pieces. So uh, we've just got to get rid of that kind of of wrong thinking. But sometimes in, in a situation where the church is persecuted, people lose their jobs. Is, is this the sort of poverty it's referring to? Well, it, it could well be. I mean, that certainly exists today. There are some countries where if you're a Christian, in some Muslim countries, for example, you will not be able to get a job or a job of any uh, real significance. It can happen in, in um, 
communist countries, wherever there is a philosophy that is opposed to the truth of the gospel, then that can certainly be part of the cost that people have to face. And, uh, you know, I've, I've met many people that have had to face that cost. Uh, and for their families, too. Their children can't go to universities and all this kind of, of business. Uh, it, it, there's a deliberate attempt to keep Christians down if they're tolerated at all. Of course, in some places, it's even worse than, than that. People are imprisoned, tortured, and even executed simply because of their faith in Christ. And these things do go on today. Now, the next thing that um, the Lord says to, to the uh, church in Smyrna is, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, let's again, I, I'm, uh, you, you notice I'm not so concerned about the situation then, but what these letters are saying to the church now. Um, a synagogue of Satan. Well, would it be too much to suggest that there are churches that do more to deny the gospel than to promote the gospel, that they're doing the work of the enemy because they're full of deceptive thinking and teaching and belief. I don't think it's too much to say that because, you know, the church is supposed to be the guardian of the truth, and Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into the truth, that his words are truth. But there's a... a, a common misconception today that somehow we know better than God, that in our modern society we are far more rational, intellectual, we're cleverer than God. So we've moved on beyond the revelation of truth that God gives in his word. Well, that is just about the height of pride, of arrogance. Uh, because, of course, the revelation that God gives in his word is from the one who is wisdom itself. He is the first and the last. His words are eternal. They are eternally true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So it's very important that um, we are not synagogues of Satan or churches of Satan, to put it in the, the modern context that we don't just call ourselves Christians. You see, what does the world think of a Christian? What is a Christian? So much confusion. Christian is someone who believes in God, but then lots of other people believe in God who are not Christians. Christian is someone who goes to church, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You have to be born again and to have received the Holy Spirit to be a Christian. But how many people in the world understand that? People often speak disparagingly about born-again Christians, born-again believers. But that's the only kind of Christian that God recognizes. 
There, there is no other Christian than that which is born again because it's that new birth that makes you a Christian, that brings you into relationship with Christ. There may be some that try to live by a Christian ethic that are not born again, that may be outside the church or inside the churches, but that still does not alter the fact that a Christian is someone who is in unity with Christ. He is made one with Christ, and the only way that can happen is through new birth. Now, the Lord is warning this church of a time of persecution that it's going to come, and that some of them are going to be killed, that they will be required to be faithful even to the point of death. But beyond that, he will give them the crown of life. These... these um, Churches, these letters written to the churches are, are real. I mean, they're addressing the real situation, but they're full of promise. You see, they're full of promise. If you are faithful, you will receive the crown of life. Here is another word for the church today. If we are faithful in fulfilling the plan and purpose that God has for us, we will receive the crown of life. Now, that crown is an eternal crown. It means you will live and rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. So it doesn't really matter, does it? what we have to suffer in the few short years we're here on earth if we have an eternity in glory. Very difficult for us in the West to really understand this because we're not facing persecution on this level, are we? No, but we're facing more subtle forms of persecution now, eroding the truth. And as I, I said, you know, persecution from outside the church has always strengthened the church. You know, we read this and we think, well, why, if God knows this is going to happen, why does he allow it to happen? Well, the blood of the martyrs has, has really been a great strength to the church all the way through its history. Because when people have to face the reality that their faith could lead to persecution, to imprisonment, to death, you have to stand up and be counted. You really know that you have to hold fast to what you believe. I mean, I remember hearing the testimony some years ago of a wonderful Chinese woman who saw her 11-year-old son battered to death in front of her eyes because he refused to deny Christ. But something happened in that woman. Instead of going away and saying, well, I'm going to give up on God for allowing that to happen to my son, she became a mighty, mighty woman of faith. She was imprisoned many times. They were going to execute her many times. And miraculously, she was preserved. And it, it is reckoned that she was responsible for bringing about a million people to Christ. So you see, from the death of her son, something sparked that brought salvation to a million people. Now, that, as far as God is concerned, is good. You know, that seed sown, million saved. One dies, a million saved, and of course the one who died, he has eternal life and the, receives the crown of life, but then so will a million others as a result. And it, it, this is a, the same principle, of course, of giving his son. He gave his son to die. But look how million, many millions and billions of people have become believers in the last 2,000 years through the death of his son. Why did God allow it? Because he knew that the seed falling into the ground and dying would produce a mighty harvest. So then uh, we have the ending of this letter. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He will be eternal. He will not be erased. He will not simply die and cease to exist, but he will live with God forever. 
You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 